Oh, would you pray with me again? Part the heavens, O Lord, and come down. Give us understanding according to your word and work in our hearts that we might will and do your good pleasure. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to do something a little different this morning than we usually do. Normally, we take a whole passage of Scripture and exposit it. Today, we're just going to look at one verse, Matthew 24:14, And what a verse that is. George Ladd, the theologian, said it's perhaps the most important single verse in the Word of God for God's people today. If we can get this verse digested and applied, we'll have done well this morning. What we're going to do is pull it apart phrase by phrase, and then we're going to see how it fits into the rest of the Gospels and the book of Acts and then into the 21st century today. So take your Bibles, if you haven't yet, and turn to Matthew chapter 24. I'll read verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. First, the kingdom. We must start here with the fact that there is but one king over all the earth. Psalm 103:19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the distant shores be glad. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. This king has no peers. He has no equals. He has no worries. He feels no threats. Because his power is infinite. His knowledge is beyond understanding. And his wisdom is perfect. Any other pretenders to this throne are simply that. They are frauds and imposters. Now you may have come to church today thinking that There's a little bit of wisdom in all the religions of the world or thinking that there is a variety of perspectives and angles on reality, thinking that you can't know for sure that you have the truth or the way. Well, this may sound strange to your ears this morning, my friends, but that is not the case. And the reason is that there is one king in heaven and he rules over all. There is one king, there is one creator, there is one ruler and sustainer of the universe. There is one king of kings and one lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. And there is no other. So when we preach the gospel of the kingdom, we are sent on a mission by that king to talk about that king for the glory of that king. See, this is not something that we've decided to do or that we've made up. We are on a mission by the King of Kings to proclaim that there is one King over all of the universe and that He demands the allegiance of all of His creation. Secondly, this gospel. You see, while a passion for His glory fuels our love for the nations, we must understand what the gospel is. There was a rebellion against that King fomented by the devil and executed by Eve and Adam in the garden. They and their progeny after them said, in effect, we will not have this king rule over us. 
And that created danger for mankind because the king had said, if you rebel against me, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. And so everyone, and that's every one of us, who follows in the train of Adam and Eve and rejecting that kingship is barreling down the road to destruction. You see, life outside of the kingdom is horrendous and in the end, horrifying. But here's where the good news comes in, that God in his mercy sent a savior, his son, who bore our sins in his body on the tree so that by his wounds we might be healed. The good news is there's a way back into the kingdom, and that is by believing in and receiving Jesus Christ. The good news is that when you're in the kingdom, that's where everything fits together, even the hard things of life that we read about in the earlier verses of Matthew 24. Because the kingdom is where God rules and where he brings his shalom, his peace, his meaning, his relationship with us, his presence, and the hope of a future with him forever in heaven. It is this gospel, Jesus said, of the kingdom. There is no other gospel but the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. Third, this gospel will be proclaimed. The picture here in this word is that of a herald. We don't have these anymore, but back in the ancient days, a king would send an announcement throughout his kingdom by heralds, and they would arrive in a village and trumpet and announce what the king had declared. It was not a timid declaration. It was not an invitation to a discussion. It was a declaration that there is a king in charge of this part of the world, and this is what he has said. That is what will happen to the good news of the kingdom. It will be heralded. It will be proclaimed. It will be preached. Where? Number four, in all of the world. The word means throughout all of the inhabited world. Every place where descendants of Adam and Eve have gone need to hear the good news because they also have rebelled like Adam and Eve are in danger of their lives. This will also be a testimony, our verse says. It is a testimony as one beggar might tell another beggar where they found food. And those of us who have found life in Christ share that testimony, even as we proclaim the king's kingship. And it is also a testimony that will testify against people that have heard and rejected because it will tell them that their blood in that day of judgment will be on their own heads. Fifth, to all nations. Before the end will come, this message will go to all nations. And this is a different focus now. It's not geographic, but it's ethnic. What Jesus is saying is that the good news of the kingdom will go to every single people group, every single language on the face of the earth. And the reason it needs to go to them in their language is because, as Paul argued in Romans 10... How can people believe unless they have heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them in their own language and cultural context? This was a revolutionary idea for the disciples. The Jews of that time thought that the Messiah was strictly for them. And yet Matthew had been preparing them throughout this book for the universal mission that Jesus was going to call them to. You remember he included some Gentiles in the genealogy in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, he talks about the Magi who came from the east to worship him. In Matthew 8, Jesus ministers to the centurion, and he puts his faith in Jesus. In Matthew 15, there's a Canaanite woman that also trusts Jesus. 
He's setting the way so that they should not have been surprised now here at the end of his life in ministry that the grace of God is so wide that it has to include everybody on the face of the earth. And then the end will come, is what Jesus said. And then. Now he finally gets around to answering their question in verse 3. Do you remember that? They said, Jesus, tell us when this is all going to end. What is the sign of your coming? And in the verses before this, Jesus listed eight different signs that will not be an indication that he is coming back. And we often focus on those signs. But what he said about them is that those are just the beginnings of birth pains. That's going to happen for a long period of time. But how do we know when Jesus is going to come? It will be when the condition in 2414 is fulfilled. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to come back and you're going to get your eternal reward. Lad said, when the church has finished its task of evangelizing the world, Christ will come again. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. Now, it says over in 2 Peter 3.12 that we are to wait for the coming of the Lord. But it also uses another interesting phrase there. It says you're to hasten His coming. Now, you say, how could we hasten the coming of the Lord? Hasn't He already determined when that's going to be? Well, yes, in a way He has in His sovereignty. But what Peter meant there in that context is that by living godly lives, we can prepare ourselves for the return of the Lord. But A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, took our verse for this morning and tied it into 2 Peter 3.12. And his logic was this simple. He said, if there is a condition on when Jesus comes back, which it seems to be in 24.14, if we then help fulfill that condition, we are going to prepare the way for Jesus to come back. And he founded a whole denomination on this fact that we need to be working hard to spread the gospel through the whole world so that we can bring back King Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, the work of missions will hasten as nothing else the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It appears to be the one yet unfulfilled condition of preparation. And Matthew, in putting missions at the end of his big picture in his book, as the last final reality before the eschaton, the final age, comes. In the words of Bruner, he says, he dignifies mission as the great privilege of disciples in history. We're a part of the final act. For the disciples, the purpose of time was mission. The interim between the two comings of Jesus is filled with one great task, and that is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus throughout the whole world. God is holding history open because He has said that He desires that none would perish but all would come to repentance. And the only way that people can come to repentance is if they hear the good news of the kingdom of God. And when we have finished that job, He is going to come back. Well, this is our verse. This is the proclamation of Jesus. It encourages us, doesn't it? Because in spite of all the difficulties that we read in the verses before verse 14, we know that we are going to triumph in the end. This will be accomplished. 
But it also raises the question in my mind, how? What was Jesus' plan for accomplishing what had been ordained from all of eternity would happen? After all, this verse is not so much an exhortation to missions as an assurance of it. So what we need to do, I think, is go a few days later in this narrative. And do you remember after Jesus had won our salvation by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, what he told his disciples? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Or in Luke, it is worded this way. Thus it is written, Jesus said after his death and resurrection, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Why did Jesus say that this would happen? Because it was written in the scriptures. Not only that Jesus would die, and we love that. Not only that Jesus would be raised again, and yes, that is in the Old Testament, and we love that message too. But the third important truth that's been written in the scriptures that must come true is that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the world. This is going to happen because God has ordained it. But how? Well, he says in the very next verse, you are witnesses of these things. God's plan was not to send angels down or to play a, a, a video on the clouds of heaven. He said, you are witnesses of these things. But there was a little problem. And that was that they were too weak. And this task was way too big. I mean, seriously. Make disciples of all nations? How in the world could some weak human beings do that? Well, here was Jesus' plan. He knew that. And he said, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What he's saying is, you can't do this. You're going to need my power. It is not time right now to try to go, because if you go, you'll stumble and fall and make a mess of it. Just wait in Jerusalem until I fill you with my power, and then I'll send you out. Or we see in Acts how this continues to play itself out right before Jesus' ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Don't you love the disciples? They're just like us. They want to know how the story is going to end. They want it to be over. They're tired of the fight and of the struggle. And Jesus, instead of telling them that, in fact, he says, you don't need to worry about the times or the seasons. What you need to worry about is the interim period, the in-between time before the end. And here's what you need to be doing during that time. He said, you need to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But it was still not yet time because something else had to happen. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So you know how the story plays out. In Acts chapter 2, the power does come. And it begins to fulfill this little sequence that we can see. The universal proclamation of the gospel will happen. It will happen as Jesus' people are witnesses of what they've received. And yet, we can't do it ourselves. And so that's why he says, let's do it together. He's not going to do it by himself. We can't do it by ourselves, but as His power fills us, it then sends us out to accomplish this great task that He said will be accomplished. So what happened in the book of Acts? In Acts chapter 2, the power comes. 
they're filled with the Spirit. 3,000 are saved in one day, 2,000 in another day. Miracles are happening. The church is growing. And the first few chapters of Acts are very exciting, except they forgot, apparently, one thing. Do you know what they did? They were having so much fun in Jerusalem, watching God at work, that they just stayed in Jerusalem. And because they apparently forgot Acts 1.8, God sent them Acts 8.1. And here's what happened. After the martyrdom of Stephen, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, exactly where they had already been told to go. You see, God had to give them a kick in the pants because they had begun to grow some roots and to settle down in the comfortable life in Jerusalem and the exciting things God was doing there. And what did they do as they went? Ah, the next verse describes it for us. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And my friends, this, along with Paul's missionary journeys, is how the gospel exploded throughout all of the known world in the first century. Such that Paul could say in Romans 15, I have fully proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way up to Yugoslavia. And Paul thought he had finished the job. Well, that was then and this is now. Is the verse clear to you? 24.14. Is the means clear to you that God is going to use us? Well, then the question should be raised. Has the gospel of the kingdom been preached in the whole world as a testimony To all nations today. You were going to ask that, right? Could Jesus come back now? Have we done this? Well, we're not exactly sure how he defined that. But let me give you the good news first. In 1900, two-thirds of the world lived in areas where they could never hear the gospel. Now only one-third of the world cannot hear the gospel. There's been tremendous progress made by missionaries through the last 110 years. The church in Africa and in Latin America, in each of those continents, has grown 100 times in the last 100 years. In China, 10,000 people a day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is happening. It is growing and spreading through the whole world. And that's the good news. But the bad news is that we've still got one-third of the world left. And unfortunately, it's the hardest third. You see, we've picked a lot of the low-hanging fruit already. Now it's just those places that are far away and hot and dangerous and scary. It's those people that have their own religion already that don't want us to come and won't even let us in their countries. Where do these people live? Well, this is a map that I have up in my office and look at frequently. The red parts of the world is the dark third of the world. That is where people are living and dying today without ever having an opportunity to even once hear the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's a lot of people. 2.9 billion people live in the red parts of the world. And they live in over 7,000 people groups. I don't think you caught that. How many people groups? 7,000. Do you have any idea how many that is? Our tech guys put this little video together for you to let you see how many 7,000 people groups is. All right, that was just the A's. 
And we're going to show you the rest of this list. And as you look at these names and numbers fly by you, every one of these is a people group that speaks its own language and has its own culture and it needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today they cannot hear. We have a scroll with all these names on them and it's going to be available in the foyer starting next Sunday and you can actually look at this 200 foot long scroll. What we've done as a church, we can't reach all 7,000, but we've selected a few people groups that, that we want to make a difference for, that we want to take the gospel to so that the gospel of the kingdom can be preached to at least these people groups and someone else is going to have to worry about the other 7,000, whatever it is. 7,000. Is a lot of people groups. All without the opportunity to hear of Jesus. And here in one shot are all 7,000 groups. 2.9 billion people. My friends, there's a lot left to do. So how are we ever going to get that done? Well, we as a church have been working at this in two main ways. One of the ways is through our national partners, our strategic partnerships around the world. One of the beauties of this is that God has raised up the church in many parts of the world to be involved in mission. It's not just North Americans any longer. In fact, the largest association of mission agencies in the world is in India, not in North America. So what we've done is we found eight strategic partners around the world that are reaching unreached people and we're helping them to do that. One of them is with us today. We have guests from Ukraine, from the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary. They'll be at a table in the back. They're training Ukrainians to reach their country and all of Central Asia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another way we do that is by sending out our own missionaries. And this month you're going to get a chance to meet them. We're going to have some on the platform and we want you to get into the homes of our people and have a meal with a missionary and find out what God has led them to do to reach some of these unreached people groups. And yet we need to do more. God is moving in fresh ways. And there are some opportunities today that I want to tell you about that are for everybody, not just professional missionaries. So if you're a follower of Jesus, there's no way you're getting off the hook today. And I want to tell you about two very specific opportunities. The first one is so easy, it's like falling off a log. The second one will be as challenging as getting hit by a log. And I'll tell you what that is in a minute. Let's do the easy one first. You know, in the first century, God thrust his people out of Jerusalem so that they would finish the task. God is doing something different in our day and age. He is bringing the world to us. There are hundreds of thousands of people from around the world studying in our universities. In fact, Ravi Zacharias said that God is bringing the world to our shores. And if you and I don't see it, we will miss the opportunity. There are many parts of the world that were walled and shut down and barred against the gospel. And some of the people from those places are here now for their first time in their lives. They can hear the gospel and go to church freely. He says, at the end of the day, God is looking for a man or a woman to stand in the gap. If you will be obedient and you will play that role, he will make you a bridge for somebody to cross over onto the other side. We have a relationship with the University of Indianapolis. We call it FISH, Friends of International Student Hospitality. 
Carolyn Wiley got involved in that a couple of years ago, and I've asked her to come and share a short testimony of how God opened a bridge for her to share Christ with a couple of Chinese gals. Thanks, Carolyn. When my roommates and I decided to host Yuki and Chin, two Chinese internationals from the University of Indianapolis, little did we know what God had in store. Um, Yuki accepted Christ early on as she was very interested, but Chin was rather interested in talking about gambling and alcohol. So when I invited her to go to the Bridges Conference with um, Campus Crusades International Ministry, um, Chin was very eager to go. Little did I know that she um, thought that they were going to be playing the game Bridge during the conference. Um, so when I was taking her to the, to the bus to go to the conference, um, Chin starts saying, Carolyn, there is something interesting about all of these Christmas songs. There is special meaning. I mean, how can a man heal a leper? How can a man heal a woman who has been bleeding all of her life? This Jesus, he is famous, and I must figure out why. When she came back from the conference, we met up, and she says, Carolyn, I am a pot of cold water. I was. But now so many people have lit matches underneath me, and I am bubbling over of wanting to know about Jesus. And I said, Chin, have you accepted Christ? She says, no, but I want you to tell me how I can do that. So we had an incredible conversation, and she accepted Christ into her life and started coming up with ideas of how to reach her country for Christ. Chin was truly made new in Christ. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. You can take that back. And the end of that story is that Chen went back to China and now she's the dean of students at a university influencing thousands of students and even wants to start her own English school so that she can teach people in China about Jesus. Now, how did that happen? God sent her here to Indianapolis. She got connected with our fish ministry through Carolyn and her friends and God miraculously saved her. Oh, God is at work. He is opening doors here. For many, many years, Saudi Arabia was the most closed country in the world and I think it probably still is. And yet, do you know what? There are 75,000 Saudis now in the United States studying in our universities. And 1,000 of them are in Indianapolis. And many of them want to meet an American and get into your home and just see what life is like in America. King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia is spending $5 billion a year to send the elite people of Saudi to America to get an education and to come back. And they're here for a short period of time. And we have an opportunity to connect with them and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom so that they might be saved and take it back to Saudi with them. Go to the fish table in the back and meet Ty and Brooks stores and sign up. We have about 50 college parkers already involved in this ministry, but many more internationals would love to get connected with somebody in our city. So that's the easy one. Ready for the tough one? Well, here's the deal. Even if we reach all the people that God is sending our way, 99% of unreached people are going to stay in their own countries. And I don't think we can ever send enough paid missionaries to go and proclaim the good news to all of them. But there is another way. The unreached world might not want the gospel, but we do have some things that they want. You know what they want? They want our expertise. They want our technology. They want our training. Many of you in the pews right now have skills and training and experience that are highly valued in the dark third of the world. And here's the brand new idea for you today. Why don't you just take your job and... No, some of you want to shove it maybe. 
But, but let, me, let me give you another idea. Take your job and move it. Just pick your candle up with the things God has given you and take it to a different part of the world and be a light for Jesus there. That's the only way I think we're going to finish this job. Is if an army of College Park people will go out and join the army of God all around the world using the skills that God's already given us. And we specifically target those red areas of the world to live in and to proclaim Jesus Christ. Well, we haven't figured all this out, but we're calling this the Delta Force. Deployed to engage the least reached, trained and accountable. What we want is a network of college parkers that figured out how to do this together. Talk to Stan Cundiff at the Delta table in the back if this is something that you're interested in. But here's the challenge. I know it's hard to uproot. In fact, the longer we live in a place, the deeper our roots grow down and the more energy it takes to root that up. And, and it takes sometimes a great force like Hurricane Sandy to uproot a giant tree. All right, no illustration is perfect. We don't want you to get uprooted and just lie there with your roots hanging all out. <laughs> but I showed you that to show you what energy it takes to uproot. And what the plan would be would be for you to take that tree that light and just take it to another part of the world and plant it there so that you could be a tree planted by rivers of living water there and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the dark third of the world. Now, could you do that? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, you could. Because do you remember Jesus left his home in heaven? And when he came to earth, he said, you know, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but even I have no place to lay my head. And we know that the servant is not greater than his master. Yet somehow we think that it is our right that we could live in a, a five-bedroom home in Indianapolis with the white picket fence and the two minivans and the 2.5 kids and all the sports leagues and all of that stuff. And, and yet we're not like everybody else. If we are followers of Jesus, we will follow him to the ends of the earth. And we need to be willing to let go to let God uproot us and to take us as we are to another part of the world and to plug us into His ministry there. One way you can do that is by coming to the Vision Trip call-out meeting next Sunday. That's one way to begin to get more mobile, more nimble, more flexible. But our problem, I think, in essence, is that we're not like the people of Hebrews chapter 11. There is a great list of people who died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. True followers of Jesus know that this is not their true home. We're just sojourners here. We're living in a strange place for a short period of time. We should be ready to pick up and move wherever our master and our king tells us to go. We look for a future city. Our rest is coming, but now is not the time to rest. So how do we do that? We do it by faith, and we do it by the Holy Spirit. If you've come today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this may not make any sense what we're talking about today. In fact, you think it sounds a bit arrogant. Well, we serve one king, and we're just doing what he told us to do. And the response for you today, if you don't follow Jesus, is you need to make Jesus your king. You need to get back in the kingdom and you need to experience the life that he has come to give you both now and for all of eternity. 
But if you are a follower of Christ, let me ask you this. Are you making an impact in the dark third of the world? Or in the words of our speaker at Reach last year, is your life your best answer to the Great Commission? It is time for that. You see, the Holy Spirit has come. We don't need to wait any longer. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have the power of the Spirit in you. He can equip you to move and to leave family and to to learn a new culture and to share Christ in a strange place. You can't do that, but the Holy Spirit in you can if you will trust Him and let Him have His way with your life. So what are you waiting for? Seriously. It's time for that. It's not time now to rest. It's not time to get distracted by all the things the world throws at us. It's time to be His witnesses. So that the good news of the king can go to every person on the face of the earth. Jesus said in John 17, 1, the time has come. He knew that it was then time for him to give his life on our behalf. And we're going to be remembering his death right now. And his death and resurrection are the only reason we have good news to tell in the first place. But as you worship your Savior through these sacraments just now, consider That because of all that He has done for you, it's time for you to jump in. It's time for that. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're weak. We're distracted. We get off mission so easily. My prayer simply is that Your Holy Spirit would, like dynamite inside of us, give us that power to do whatever it is that you're asking us to do. And it's going to be different for every individual. But would we hear your voice and would we respond in faith so that all peoples on earth might one day partake of this glorious Lord's Supper and have an eternity in heaven. Do that through us for the glory of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.